Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. And thank you today for asking me to preach on this great topic of the fear of the Lord. And apologies to Stuart, who said last week that uh, he really would have preferred to have preached on this one and the topic last week, but he did well. Uh, So we're in our current series in the uh, year of biblical literacy. And the topic is the, well, the, the, the series is the God I don't understand, the seemingly difficult things in the Old Testament. And... The fear of the Lord, the topic this morning, seems incompatible to many of us in regard to the idea of the love of God that seems so prevalent in the Bible. Now, I'm not a chemist, but I uh, have had a bit of experience with gunpowder, and I know that it's uh, made of a mix of potassium nitrate and sulfur. Those two things on their own are fairly innocuous. Put them together and you get explosive. Uh, Don't know much about perfume, but I know that the base of it is ethyl alcohol, and you add other things to it, and suddenly it becomes delicious to smell. And of course, um, hydrogen, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, gives water, uh, the stuff of life, isn't it? <clears throat> so you've got the fear of the Lord, uh, and we're going to come to that. But the word fear on its own in the Old Testament um, means uh, terror. Uh, dread, anguish, trembling, dismay, uh, and quaking, shaking. And the Bible makes it very clear, let's say this from the outset, that that's actually going to be the experience of those who reject God in this life. It's not just part of the Old Testament. The two thieves on the cross in uh, Luke, um, one of them starts to insult Jesus, uh, aren't you the Christ and all this sort of thing? And the other one calls out, Don't you fear God? And obviously this fellow did fear God because he uh, calls out to Jesus and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. One of the loveliest lines in the Bible. And, you know, it's it's very clear that in the end, everyone will learn that God is God. Uh, He's the one that gives life. He's the author of life. He is just the basic tenets of the Bible. Now, the fear of God and the justice that goes with it is part of the melodic symphony line in the Bible. It's intertwined with God's covenant and with us and all of his creation. It's there at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 14, verse 7. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. And again, a couple of chapters later, chapter 19 in the book of Revelation, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. What does the fear of God actually mean for believers? Well, I thought I'd do a summary as we commence. And uh, we've got this up on a PowerPoint. Uh, First of all, the basic description is that the fear of God is a delight in obeying God by godly living. There is a joy in it. A lot of people think that the idea of obeying God is is just painful. Um, I was at a smash repair shop uh, locally this week, and I was just getting all this from the guy behind the counter. Nice guy, but, you know, uh, the idea of of obeying God um, from his background just didn't really gel with him. I was so sad when I left. Um, The Psalms portray the fearing of the Lord as the one who greatly 
delights in his commandments. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. I delight to please God by walking in his ways. Uh, conversely, on the other side of the coin, is the rejection and the detesting of evil. And you see that over and over again in the Psalms. I just love the Psalms, you know, where uh, there's this hatred of the evil around us and what it's doing to people. So that's the basic description. Let's just look a little bit closely at some of the components. Um, the fear of the Lord is the revealing of God's character through the moral law. You see this in so much of the book that we're looking at this morning, the book of uh, Deuteronomy, which literally just means the second giving of the law. The first giving of the law is in Exodus chapter 19, when the people first come out of the land and then... Uh, 40 years later, as they're about to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land, it's rehearsed again. And essentially, it's built around the Ten Commandments, which is still pertinent for us today. Another component is the dread of the wrath and judgment of God. I've sort of touched on that already. Um, and the fear of God is something that's evaporated from Western culture, largely, um, in the biblical sense. Uh, the wisdom literature tells us that the fear of God um, has a wisdom component, to it, which is a large part of godly living, practical holiness, skillful living. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline, the book of Proverbs says. The book of Job says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and to shun evil, to avoid evil, put it far away, is um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and to shun evil is uh, discipline is knowledge um we touch on the reverential trust part but you know the, the the book of psalms just says there's this simple trust uh and then there's awe as fear mingled with admiration it's not this sort of awful dreaded unapproachability that the uh the sociologist and anthropologist often um, portray religion as uh, it is a, a, a holy respect for God and an admiring of his majesty uh, we will see God face to face in heaven what an extraordinary thing well let's look a little bit more closely at this marvelous text from Deuteronomy chapter 6 as Jack said Israel are about to enter the promised land Moses is left behind we won't go into that um one scholar that uh, david pointed me towards when i was talking about preparation said this is the most important part of the old testament actually deuteronomy chapter 6 to 15 okay that's a big statement isn't it i, I always thought sort of genesis but uh, it was extraordinary for me to reflect on that in terms of our covenant relationship with god uh, and at the heart of this passage that was read this morning is uh, verses 4 and 5. It's, it's a prayer. Uh, the Jews still pray this as a prayer daily. Uh, and it says, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, if you look at your footnotes, if you've got your Bible open, it says the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Uh, monotheism. One God. And then verse 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strengths. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. 
okay? So do with a heart. It's interesting that uh, when Jesus was tested by the Pharisees, we read about this in Matthew, Mark and Luke, he quotes this passage. Uh, What's the greatest commandment? They said, trying to catch him out again. And he answered, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and to love your neighbour as yourself. And, of course, they wanted to test him more, and so he goes on and tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> and uh, they're sort of humiliated by that. By the way, just as an aside, uh, there's a key insight here to the personality of Jesus. He displays this uh, simple reverence, remember the laws written on the heart, and a faithful obedience to God. Never has there been a worshipper like Jesus. He's the one true worshipper because he's perfect. And never been one like him who perfectly delighted in keeping God's word out of gratitude and appreciation. Well, back to the passage, uh, and to just flesh it out a little bit, much of Deuteronomy is written in the literary form of uh, ancient Near Eastern treaties. Remember, there were all these huge empires around at that time, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Hittites, the Egyptians, and they were known to have drawn up treaties with their subordinate or vassal states. Um, and they bound them in loyalty. You know, you do this and I'll look after you sort of thing, to put it very boldly. Well, why is Deuteronomy drawn up in this similar fashion? Well, it's not the case that it's simply a copying of what's going on in the world of that time. It's God's way of, uh, as it were, accommodating uh, our limited understanding as human beings of his way. It's his way of using a form of words to initiate a relationship that the people of Israel could understand from the politics of the time. The incarnation's like that. We can understand what God's like the best by him becoming a human being and walking amongst us, so it's the whole thing. John chapter 1. So in the early chapters of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, Moses rehearses what God has done for them, of how you know, there were slaves in Israel, then the exodus occurred and brought them out from the sentence of death under Pharaoh. Pharaoh was putting all the male children to death, was he not? And they call out to God and God provides the saviour, Moses. And God led them out so that they could enter into this covenant relationship with him and he can keep the promises that he made to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God keeps his promises. And so here they are, uh, perched across the eastern side of the Jordan, <clears throat> promised land literally over the other side. And Moses is warning them, don't forget the Lord once you enter this place flowing with milk and honey. The, the promised land is actually a dangerous place because it will be so wonderful. And they have to be aware of the Canaanites that are there and their false gods. David dealt with this whole business, you know, of pushing the people out of the land a few months ago in this session. But, you know, they're not all driven out, are they? And they have to be aware uh, that their false gods and their false promises of significance and security in this world will be a great stumbling block for them. They will forget the Lord. And, of course, 
Paul writes that everything that's been written beforehand uh, has been written for our learning so that by endurance and encouragements of the scriptures, we might have hope. And here we see that both the imagery of slavery in Egypt and the temptations that are to come in the promised land of Canaan are metaphors for us. We were without hope. That's what salvation of Jesus is all about, is it not? And without God's revelation, we're like blind fish swimming in the culture around us, trying to get our meaning simply out of this world in this life. And there's a life to come, is there not, that uh, will make this life seem like a blip. <clears throat> and so it's a warning to us as Christians. If we lose the fear of God, then we search for meaning and salvation in this world. And we all know people who've wandered off, do we not? And it saddens us greatly. And the whole point is that there is no salvation in this world system. People are still looking for earthly messiahs. The perfect politician hasn't come along. And re in reality, behind it all is the devil seeking to rule over us. I'm going to be blunt about that. And then with him, there's no future, no hope. And he doesn't display the fine print. He lies behind his promises. And of course, in the land, subsequent to this, as we read through the rest of the Old Testament, um, the prophets upbraid the people because they've made their hearts and minds stubborn and rebellious against God. And the book of Judges, for instance, goes in this cycle of rebellion and repentance and restoration. And again, the fear of the Lord is to do with our hearts and minds. It's, it's, it's emotive and it's cognitive. Both depend on our will, our will to fix our eyes firmly on Jesus. The people of Israel forgot about the Lord. And they forgot that you can't be indifferent to the fear of the Lord. It is a matter of life and death. And they forgot that the fear of the Lord actually is meant to bring blessing in every sphere of life. God's not a spoil sport. And so fear is about constantly renewing our minds, our devotion in the light of God's grace, of recommitment every day. Uh, this week, Ali and I had a problem with our electricity. Uh, something's gone wrong with our reverse cycle air conditioning. And this lovely uh, bloke came to check it out. And he had uh, these big holes in his earlobes. Remember a couple of years ago, the rage with these big things you stick in your ears and he'd obviously taken them out and it reminded me from Deuteronomy chapter 15 of how one of the parts of the law and how the people were to be different in the way in which they lived in the land was that if you were an indentured slave you were to be released after seven years now let's just put aside the issue of slavery it's quite different in the Bible to what we know of recent European history sadly but there was this thing that you have to release your slave after seven years but if the servant didn't want to leave because he loved his master then in a public ceremony where the neighbors came around and it was all sort of legal the uh, servant was put up against the doorpost and a punch or an awl was pushed through the servant's ear and that became their identity uh, the ear the servant now belongs to their master and they held together in a relationship of love that is at the instigation of the servant, not the master. And again, that's a metaphor for our relationship 
with Jesus that under the new covenant, we are adopted children of God. What an extraordinary thing um, that God loves us. So my heart just uh, leapt when I listened to Claire talking about those children uh, that she did the camps with. What, what, what a marvellous thing. Anyway, um, we, we have the idea here of the, uh, our, his, his law being written on our hearts, of us wanting to please him because of his grace and generosity towards us, that we've died in baptism. That's sort of like the all being driven through our ear, isn't it? And, of course, um, our drinking his blood and eating his body are metaphors for our relationship and being fed and nurtured by him. So we are nourished and blessed beyond measure. And the covenant and the attendant fear of the Lord is not an impersonal contract. So I conclude. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I do hope you'll read it again because marvellous, marvellous passage of God's love. The fear of the Lord is about the heart and the new covenant is written, God's law, on our heart. Before any of the stipulations about how to live in the land, the heart has to be right. Religion is not just about things we don't want to do. It's about pleasing the God who loves us. So it's simple devotion. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right, that's it. Thank you.